So I want to look this morning at how the resurrection has affected time and look at the resurrection from a few different aspects of time, if if that's okay. The first scripture I'm going to read, all of them will be on the screen, I think, but the first one that I'll read will actually be from Job, of all places. Uh, Job is thought to be the oldest book in the Bible. Now, Genesis might cover the oldest time period, but a lot of scholars think that Job put pen to paper or whatever it was before Moses did. And this is early, early writing. I'm going to read from verse 25 to 26, and then we'll get going. Job writes, I know. (laughs) Do you know what? Some of you maybe have plans to go away this afternoon. I'm going to try to be brief, but I might get excited. Okay, so just bear with me. You can stay up late tonight. It's okay. I give you permission and you can lie in tomorrow. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Not as a spirit or ghost or whatever. In my flesh, Job says, I will see God. Right from possibly the earliest writings in Scripture, there is the prospect of resurrection, of bodily resurrection, bodies being raised from the dead. Now, I want to show you uh, slightly, well, it's going to get a little bit more complicated as we go along this, but I, I need to show you this. You need to understand something really important that happened that first Easter morning. This is the Jewish view of time, and it's pretty straightforward. You've got creation at the start, And then the the run of the black line there represents initially the present age for the Jews. What we read in the Old Testament, you know, just normal life starts with creation. Then there's the present age. And at the end of the age, there was to be the resurrection of the dead that Job has just written of. That's what the Jews looked towards, a future resurrection. They all believed that where God would raise the dead bodily. And that was the end of the present age. And then beyond that was the future age. That is the Jewish view of time. And I'm going to make some changes to that a wee bit later as we go along. We already read Job. Let me read Genesis. There's going to be quite a bit of scripture today. I make no apology for it. I want to have all of this stuff just, you know, banging around your head all over the place. Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Jesus was crucified on the sixth day of the week on Good Friday. 
He rested on the Sabbath. The last thing that he said on Good Friday on the cross was, It is finished. Echoing back to Genesis 2 when the work of creation was finished. And he rested in the tomb on Sabbath Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And now, this in John 20, verse 1. There are certain parts of my Bible, there are certain passages of Scripture, and whenever I read them, a shiver goes down my spine, and this is one of them. John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. I try to imagine reading that for the first time. I try to imagine being there or viewing it from a distance. It's the first day of the week. No, hang on, hang on, hang on. Did they not say, did Jesus not say on the third day I would be raised? And and the gospel writers have recorded that, but every single one of them, every one of them, and already Aaron read it earlier in Luke's account, every one of them says and makes the point that this was the first day. Yes, it was three days from the crucifixion, but more important, this is the first day of a new week. The first day, and it's dark. And God is going to call light out of darkness, like he did in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God is at work, and out of chaos and out of formlessness, there is going to come new creation on that first day. And I want to see, first of all, that the resurrection is a past event. I'm going to look at the resurrection past, present, and future. The resurrection is a past event. It happened, okay? It happened. It is a historical fact. You could not make this up. If at the end of the first century, a few guys decided, let's rewrite this story of Jesus and make it sound a bit better... Let's see if we can um, get, it, get it sort of embellished a wee bit to make it more powerful and to try and get a few more people to join in. There are certain things that they just would not have added to their made-up story. One, with all respect to half of you, they would not have added women to it. Because women were not held as being witnesses, believable witnesses in the first century. And the fact that all the gospel writers record women at the tomb, women witnessing the risen Jesus, and in particular Mary in John 20 being the first person to see him. In all of history, no one else can lay claim to that fact. I saw him first, Mary Magdalene. And if you were making this up, you wouldn't have put that in. She was going that morning to put spices on a body. Because the way you carried out burial in the ancient world was the body went into a tomb and lay on a shelf in a cave. It was covered in spices in order to try and suppress the smell. And then after about a year, somebody went back in, gathered the bones, put them in a box called an ossuary and put it down at the back of the cave. That's how they did burial. And that's what Mary was going to do that morning. Spices on the body as part of the ritual after death. And despite Jesus repeatedly telling the disciples that he would rise on the third day, none of them were there. (laughs) They weren't sitting waiting, you know, with their banjos and tambourines, singing songs around the fire, waiting for Jesus to rise. They were not expecting it to happen. And there have been some daft attempts to explain the resurrection away. There's this swoon theory 
that he was not actually dead, that he had passed out or that he had been given a drug of some sort. But it's nonsense. The Romans knew how to kill people. <laughs> they were really, really good at it. There's, there's notions, I even read of a twin theory, <laughs> that he had an identical twin. Just think about that. For 2,000 years, about a third of humanity has worshipped the wrong twin, according to that theory. Jesus died and they wheeled out this twin who nobody else had encountered before, who looked just like him. No, he died because God raised him from the dead, according to Acts chapter 2. He died and he was resurrected. God raised him. Wicked men put him to death. This is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 23. Wicked men put him to death, nailed him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because, I love this, we've sang it already, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And I've painted this picture for you before, so I'll just do it briefly. Sin is the grip that death uses to hold on to us. And if there's no sin, then we are as slippery as eels and death cannot get a grip of us. And whenever Jesus arrived at death, death couldn't hold him. There was nothing to get a hold of, nothing to grip onto. He had no sin and therefore death could not hold him. And to explain the rise of Christianity in the early church, the only way that you can account for the fact that 11 uneducated men and they added their twelfth after Judas had, had died. They added another guy in Acts chapter 1. Twelve then. The only way you can explain how those twelve men started to carry the message of Jesus that spread across the earth. The only way you can explain that is that the resurrection happened. If they made it up, they wouldn't have gave their lives for it. You don't give your life for a lie. <laughs> that you've made up yourself. And people say <clears throat> that the, the body could have been stolen by grave robbers. But that, can't, that just can't stand. First, on a very simple level, grave robbers don't steal bodies. Who wants a body? <laughs> they steal clothes and they steal maybe jewelry that's with the body. They don't steal the body. So that's nonsense. But the fact that, they, that, that we read in, the, in Paul and we read in the, in the Gospels how they encountered the risen Jesus, that, that just does away with the idea that the body was stolen. They were like, no, we saw him. And you could say, ah, well, you maybe saw him. You were a bit emotional and yeah, maybe hallucinated. No, 500 people saw him at once. <laughs> and, and the crowd in the upper room saw him on Easter night and the following week as well. Groups of people together saw him. It wasn't just one or two people. And the fact that they, they saw him meant that the tomb was empty. You know, it's, it had to be empty. It couldn't just be, oh, look, there's Jesus. No, there had to be a moving of a stone. There had to be a, a going in and seeing grave clothes there and nothing else. The tomb, we can't claim a bodily resurrection if that tomb was not investigated. And the tomb was empty. The body was gone. The clothes were still there. There's an empty tomb and there were the meetings 
of the disciples and the women and others with Jesus. Dozens of other messianic movements started in the centuries around Jesus. Dozens of them. Guys landed in in the region of, of Galilee and Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah, gathered up a few followers. The Romans put them to death and that was it. How did these 11 or 12 men keep going? And the answer is because Jesus rose from the dead. If the resurrection did not happen, there's no such thing as Christianity. You're wasting your time. You might as well go home. Paul says that himself in 1 Corinthians 15. And what about Jesus' body in the resurrection? What, what, you know, what's it like? He says in, in Luke 24, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I. Touch me and see. A ghost is not as flesh and bones as you see I have. He's physical. He's physical. Times they recognize him and times they don't. But he is physical. He has flesh. Like Job says, in my flesh. Not as a spirit or a disembodied soul or some other weird thing. My body. I will see him. Jesus, as he rises, he has flesh and bones. He says to Thomas in John's gospel, come on, put, put your, your hand into the wound in my side. Touch me. He invites physical interaction. They, he eats You know, this brings me joy. Yeah, we will still eat after the resurrection. It's okay to be happy about that. Yes, we'll still eat. It's not as if our bodies are are done away with and we just sort of float around and don't, you know, don't get to enjoy eating. We'll still eat. Jesus ate. He ate broiled fish. What does broiling even mean? But he ate broiled fish in their presence. And he appeared in a room that was locked. In, in John 20, 19. And then on the road to Emmaus, he was eating with the, these two that he had walked on the road with and he disappeared. So he has a body that has some semblance of what went into that tomb on Good Friday. The scars are there and he is recognizable. But then there are things also that are different about his resurrected body. Whenever you go on a, <clears throat> on a long haul flight, which you probably haven't done that, much lately and you're about to land the captain will tell you that you know you're in a different time zone and local time and the adjustments that you have to make to your watch and when the resurrection happened two radical adjustments were made by the early followers of Jesus the first one was that they no longer used the Sabbath day Saturday as their day to look forward to God's ultimate future. The day in between the finish of creation and a looking forward to God's future promise of resurrection and new creation. They no longer did that on Saturday. They now started to meet and worship the risen Christ on Sunday. The time has changed. Now, that is a radical, radical change. You imagine somebody now taking a notion that the first working day of the week is going to be Tuesday instead of Monday and try to get everybody to buy into it. They made a radical change to acknowledge this risen Christ by changing the day on which they gathered to focus on him. That's the first change they made. The second change, and we go back to this, As I said earlier, the Jews had this linear view of time, creation, the present age. God then resurrects the dead and the future age begins. 
But now, because of Jesus' resurrection, that has changed. Now, I like to do something nice for you to look at on a Sunday morning. I do put a bit of time into it, and, and it's important to me. It helps the whole communication, teaching, learning thing. But what's going to happen on the screen when I hit this little button... It's going to take two sec. It's a two-second transition, okay? Two seconds. It is going to be one of the most important things, if you haven't seen it before, that you will ever see in order to understand the kingdom of God, the church, Jesus, the future, everything. Are you ready for a big two seconds? I didn't check. <laughs> I didn't have time to check that I got it. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'll do it two or three times. Are you ready now? So that's the Jewish view, and then this is how the Christian view changes that. Watch really carefully. Most important two seconds of your whole life. You got it? Here we go. Boom. <laughs> Let's do it again. Not, not because it looks nice. There are times I do things and they look nice, and I know they look nice. And I'm quite happy about them. This is not just about looking nice. Please, look at how it changes. What we've got is the Jews have a massive problem because there has been a resurrection in the middle of the present age. Not at the end of it. A resurrection, a bodily, physical resurrection has taken place of a man called Jesus within the present age. And also that with Jesus coming and declaring the kingdom of God has come and with a resurrection <clears throat> taking place, the future age has broken in to the present. The kingdom of God has come, Jesus said. It's among you. And what we have is that the ages, instead of there being just this linear from the present age to the future age, we now have an overlap of the ages. God's future with the resurrection of Jesus and then the outpouring of the Spirit has broken in and the present age is still continuing. That is so important. It is unreal. That is not some minor wee theological sort of quirk. That is so important to understand where we are living because we're living in the overlap of the ages. As you'll see a bit later, we're there. We're there. After the resurrection, the future has broken in. The present is still continuing. And Jesus' resurrection so completely shattered the normal view of the world that it became known as new creation. First day of the week. Let light come out of darkness. This is new creation. And it's why the Gospels make such a fuss of it being on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Now there still has to be a future resurrection of the dead. This is the thing that the Jews had to get their heads around. Is that for me? Oh, you're so good. Thank you. Mm. <clears throat> this is the thing that the Jews had to get their head around. The resurrection that they anticipated as being one final event actually was splitting into two events. And there still had to be a future resurrection, which some Christian theologians call the general resurrection. The rest of us, we'll talk about it a bit later. But that is the view now that we have. 
of the church age. And a guy called Paul met a guy called Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And he reflected back on it various times in his writings. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, He appeared to me also. And the guy called Paul then needed 14 years to go away and figure out what he had just seen. Because he didn't see a ghost on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus bodily, physically resurrected. And Paul, as a good Pharisee, well-educated, much more than all of us put together, Paul knew that the resurrection marked the end of the age and the beginning of the future. And he had to go away. And if you read Galatians 2, and you read that he was away for 14 years, I can tell you, he's 14 years, he's just trying to figure that out. He's trying to get his head around how the resurrection has happened. I have seen something that means I must now rethink everything about the, the, the current life. So the resurrection, <clears throat> I've said already, is a, is a past event. We've talked there about Jesus' resurrection. It is also a present reality. <clears throat> In Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That is the state of a person who is living in sin. Dead. Doesn't gloss it up. Doesn't make it pretty. You're dead. You're wallowing in death. But, because of his great love for us, reading on in Ephesians 2, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. We were dead. We've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God, look for the language of resurrection. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, that's now. There, has, there is a present aspect to resurrection in that we have been raised from the death of sin to life in Christ. Now. Not in the future, but right now. That is an element of resurrection power that probably all of us have experienced and encountered. We've been raised up with Christ. It's pictured in baptism in Romans 6, buried through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too, or we too may live a new life. There is a present reality to the resurrection. We were dead in sin and we have been raised to new life. Jesus, in a passage in John 5 that I'll come back to, verse 25, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. Now. First century. Jerusalem. Wherever this was, I can't remember exactly. It might have been the pool of Bethesda. A time is coming and has now already come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Call it what you want. Salvation, conversion, being born again, choosing to follow Jesus, whatever you want to call it. You hear the voice of the Son of God and you are raised from the death of sin into new life. And where the church now lives, back to our chart, whatever you want to call I hate the word chart. We were laughing about it earlier. 
you know, because you've seen so many bad charts in uh, Christian books and stuff. Hopefully this is okay. Do you understand it? Does it make sense? Good, okay. Where we are now is there. We are living in between the resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection of the dead. We are living in the overlap of the ages where the kingdom has broken into the present and we see glimpses of it. But we're still in the body. We're still living in the present age. That's where we live. And I haven't added it on. I didn't want to complicate things further. But boy, seeing that yellow box, that's where you need the Holy Ghost. That's where you need the power to live the life of a follower of Jesus in the overlap of the ages. Because when two ages, when two kingdoms overlap, they clash. (laughs) You know, they clash. And we are living the life of the future already in a body that is dying and fading and growing older, yet renewed in the inner man every day. We are living the life of the Spirit the life of the future breaking in to the present age. And as I mentioned, this old body is still subject to death, according to Paul in Romans 8.10. Paul knew a thing or two about pain. He experienced a heck of a lot of physical pain in his life, a lot of it at the hands of people who should have listened more carefully to him. This body is still subject to death. And just as an aside here, the question before I get to the future hope of the resurrection, the question that could come is, what happens when we die? Still living in this overlap of the ages, living in the yellow box. What happens in there when we die before the final resurrection of the dead? And about this, the Bible doesn't say a huge amount But here's a couple of things that it says very clearly. Whenever the person who is in Christ dies, they will then be with Christ immediately. Exact location, I don't know. Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Don't know what that looks like. I sat on... Friday in a beautiful garden and I looked around and I thought, I wonder, is it anything like this? Today, 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 no soul sleep, no long period of time where you just don't exist. Today, with me in paradise. So one thing, I I don't know much about what that actually looks like. I don't feel the Bible gives us as much detail as we want. And I don't want to tread into speculation. But one thing I'm certain of, at the moment of death, the follower of Jesus is with Jesus. With Jesus. As they await the future hope of the resurrection of the body. So, resurrection is a present reality. Our bodies are subject to death, Romans 8.10. Romans 8.11 talks now about how he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. This old body is going to be raised from the dead. Bodily, physically, really. (laughs) 
what that's going to look like. But there is a future great general resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits of that. He's the down payment. He's the deposit. He's the only one in all of history who has already experienced it. And what happened to him will happen to all on that last day. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah 25 where those who are just ticked off with death. (laughs) Here's what God says. On this mountain. What mountain that is. I know a mountain called Calvary. (laughs) On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. Boom. (laughs) Of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud. The death cloth. (laughs) He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. So we still face it physically, but we face it in the knowledge that he has already swallowed it up. What does the Bible say about the future aspect of the revelation? We've had or the resurrection. We've had the past aspect, the historical event of the resurrection of King Jesus. The present reality of how the Spirit has raised us from death in sin to life in Christ. And now the future hope. Jesus again in chapter 5 of John that I read verse 25 earlier said in verses 28-29, Do not be amazed at this. A time is coming. Note in verse 25 he said a time is coming and now is. Whereas now he says, a time is coming. He's talking about the future. And he says, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. I don't believe that is symbolic or a picture or a metaphor or anything else. I believe that is 100% cast iron what is going to happen on that day. All who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Can I tell you that the idea of a future bodily resurrection of the dead has never meant more to me than it did this week. How people face death and bereavement without Jesus. I just cannot figure it out. Such hope that we have. Jesus is the first fruit. What happened to us, what happened to him, will happen to us. Death could not hold him, and it ain't holding me either. (laughs) Or you. Because whenever Jesus arrived, whatever it looked like, I don't know. I I find it a wee bit difficult. There's a, I love the Apostles' Creed, but there's a phrase in it that says he descended into hell. And I think it causes a heck of a lot of confusion that's not totally biblical. But whatever it looked like when he died, if if I can just use my imagination and, and personify death, death took one look at him and said, I can't hold you. And you know what? When I die, Death will take one look at me and say, I can't hold you either because you've no sin either because he took it away. (laughs) 
So just like Jesus couldn't be held by death, nor can I and nor can you. And we read a little bit in in 1 Corinthians about the resurrection. A body that is sown, the picture of a seed going into the ground. The body is sown and it's perishable. It dies, but it will be raised imperishable, never to die again, never to decay. It's sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, the weakness of death. And it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And then Paul uses this wonderful term. It is raised a spiritual body. It's a body, but it's spiritual. What does that mean? Does that mean floating around like a wee ghost, a spirit? No, it means a body that is fit for the fullness of the Holy Ghost and the life of the future. A physical body that is fit for spiritual life to the absolute full. Listen, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. And by that means, he means not everyone will die. There will be on that resurrection day people who are still alive. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal, flesh, death, decay, old age, pain, will be clothed with immortality. And then what is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word? Oh, death. Oh, death. Who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening. And the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, All three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. That is the hope of the Christian. The future hope. And it doesn't matter whether you're 15 and fit as a fiddle, or you're in your middle years and you're starting to feel a bit creaky, or you are very, very old and very aware of the limitation of a physical body. That hope is for everyone. It doesn't diminish. It maybe only increases. I'm nearly finished. In fact, I pretty much am finished. Paul talks about this. I'm not going to read it in 1 Thessalonians 4. And the reason he talks about it is because he does not want us to grieve like those who have no hope. He still wants us to grieve. He doesn't say don't grieve. He doesn't say don't belittle death or don't ignore it or pretend it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. He says, we're not going to grieve like those who don't have hope. Our grief will be different. He talks about how Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then tells us, encourage one another with these words. Death is not the end. Life is not hopeless and it's not worthless. And whenever your future and the hope of the future becomes real to you, it changes how you live in the present. 
It's not that old criticism that Christians are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. That's nonsense. We are so aware of the hope of the future because of the resurrection of Jesus that we can live well in the present because this is not all there is. This is not all there is. And if we believe that this is all that there is, then we will find it hard to face suffering. We will struggle to do the right thing if it means the loss of our reputation or whatever. We will be terrified of death. Whereas if you know that this is not the only world, this is not the only life there is, then you can face the worst things with joy and hope. Because King Jesus says and tells us, As the story ends, there will be no more death. No more death. All because of the resurrection. Do you need to readjust your watch and realize the time zone that we are living in between the resurrections, in the overlap of the ages, in the age of the church, the age of the spirit, the age when when we are God's image on this earth to show people how citizens of heaven live? That's where we're at. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Let's pray and let's worship like people who have got a resurrected